Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So it is time for another book club. And thanks to listeners and friends who have suggested this one. Um, because today we are talking about Angela Chen's 2020 novel, Ace, What Asexuality Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex, which, as the title might imply, is an exploration into ace experiences of all kinds and what we can learn from these experiences in terms of how we understand love and desire. And Chen is a journalist and speaker has been very open about her own experience as an asexual person. She's very clear that there is no one ace and that the book mostly focuses on liberal Western, generally sex positive folks. She interviewed hundreds of people who identify as ace from all kinds of backgrounds, digging into the intersections of race, disability, and gender with asexuality. And... It was a very, yeah, very quick, very good read. Uh, and it was interesting to hear all these different perspectives kind of woven together. And um, if you would like to hear more, you can see our interview with Adoha Donzo that we did on asexuality. Um, we also did, we've done several episodes on this now, but one that came to mind a lot for me during this, when I was reading this, is our episode we did on what is love, mm-hmm. which was kind of an examination of what... The, the sexual aspect of romance and how that's sort of understood in a lot of our culture and how that might not be the case. And perhaps we should separate that out or at least think about it. And yeah, I would, I would recommend this because it does go into things like you don't have to be asexual to read this. I think it, it's, it makes you ask questions about a lot of stuff. So I would recommend it. I definitely connected very hard with a lot of it about like not understanding sexual attraction feeling hypocritical about things, um, feeling pressure, feeling like I was a problem in a relationship and avoiding talking about all of it, wanting to want what it seems everyone wants, but not me. (laughs) Right. And yeah, just to put it out there, you did talk about the fact that there are a lot of great examples and personal stories and interviews within it. And uh, when we originally had the asexual episode, we had a couple of male followers who were like, hey, I I identify as ace. Can you talk a little more about it? Because, you know, we don't hear that. We only hear the uh, women because it's more acceptable for women to be ace than it is for men. And I absolutely Mm -hmm. understand that. So if you're still listening... This is a great book. <laughs> we didn't lose those followers. Um, this is a great book for all sexes and all genders and being able to bring you prime examples from all perspectives. So I think that's a great uh, way to look at it, that. So yes, recommended for all and not just our female listeners or those who identify <laughs> as female or non-binary. Yeah. It's for all. So I think this is something to put out there for anyone who's just trying to figure themselves out and need to relate. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a, there's a chapter on male ace experience. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But yeah, really, really fascinating. A lot of stuff in there. And this one's pretty quote heavy because a lot of it, I was like, yes, let's just put in the quotes. But we're going to have discussions around all of that. So let's start with this one. I misinterpreted a person who does not experience sexual attraction to mean a person who hates sex. And so I personally could not be asexual. I hadn't had sex yet, but the idea held great promise. That's the strange thing about this orientation and all the misconceptions it carries. It's possible to be ace and not realize it, to see the word and still shrug and move on. Definitions are not enough. One must plumb deeper. Yeah, and I just wanted to include that because I this... Chen was really open with her experience and all the questions she had and all of the stuff she still wrestles with. And I think that that, like, you know, you have to dig deeper. I think that's good for everybody, first of all. But uh, I also felt that that was really true. And there's just a lot of questions you have to ask yourself of, like, what... It's odd when there are things that you just take for granted and when you realize like, oh, maybe I'm not experiencing this thing everyone else is experiencing. Right. And that's fine. But you do have to kind of really get to know yourself. Right. And I think in overall, it could just be said as a blanket st- statement, what we see as sex by uh, media and or assumptions is often wrong for anyone who identifies as anything. <laughs> so yeah. we already yeah. know that. that like, it's just, it's just misinterpreted altogether, point blank. And the way it's represented to us, man, 
we need real honesty. And this is part of that honesty is, again, feeling different or feeling not the same as everyone else when it comes to what it actually is. And yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, a the media took this we've talked a about. real disservice about that. Right, yeah. really did. For everyone, for yes. sure. But the confusion yes. for so many of us uh, is mm-hmm. because of what the expectations were <laughs> rather than what it actually is. Yes. But, um, and here's another quote. There's a man who grew up in a religious environment, followed all the rules, only to realize after marriage that sex was not the wonder he had been promised. The woman who ordered blood tests in high school because she was convinced that her lack of desire for sex was a symptom of serious illness. Disabled aces can have trouble fitting into either community, wondering where their disability ends and their asexuality begins, and whether finding that border should matter. Aces of color and gender nonconforming aces question whether their asexuality is a reaction against stereotypes. Everyone wonders how to separate friendship and romance when sex is not part of the equations. Aces who don't want romantic relationships wonder if there's room for them in a world hyper-focused on a particular type of partnership. And aces who do want romantic relationships point out how consent practices don't make room for their needs. Yeah, and those are all like all chapters, all those things she like mentioned, she breaks down into to whole chapters and has these interviews with people and discussions with people. And there's a lot of thing I found interesting in all of that where I, I, like I said, I've been kind of dealing with this for a while and asking questions about myself for a while. And like I said, in a recent happy hour, I think I'm starting to, my mind is starting to expand into like, what could a relationship look like for me? And like, it could be a bunch of different things, which is really exciting in a lot of ways. Right. Um, or if I even need it or if I can be complete. Uh, which I can be, but like that idea of, I'm not sure if that's even what I want, but it's just that I'm thinking about it. Right. And so that, I found that really interesting. There was a chapter that really went into like definitions around romantic and platonic and attachment and all the, how those are different and how we might misunderstand those things and how they don't necessarily have to be, like they all have separate definitions, but they also can interact and how different groups of people see those things differently as well. Um, and, and of course, because of the nature of this book, it does come from kind of an asexual understanding a lot of times of like, what what does that mean? Um, so I just thought that was really, really interesting. And like the whole conversation of, a lot of this is around language, right? Like mm-hmm. we don't have the language to express perhaps things that are feeling are these different shades of relationships or or, um, any kind of, I don't know, like attraction. And so one of them was like friends versus more than friends, but not necessarily, you know, like (laughs) a sexual partner, but just having these like shades of, of, it can be very passionate um, feelings for someone without sex. Right. And we just don't have a lot of times the terminology or uh, even the tools to express that, which I thought was really interesting. And then, yeah, we've talked a lot about this constant narrative of not being complete without romantic love. And that is present in our language, in our laws, in our media, in our songs. Like just today before we came in, I was making like a tally of all the times that I was kind of bombarded with, you need this relationship and you need sex. And it's very sad if you're not having the right. And I just recently saw a TikTok or a Twitter, I can't remember, somewhere where this woman comes on and is pretty much joking about the fact that men continue to threaten women with, if you're not careful, you're going to be all alone. You're going to be all alone. And she started laughing. She's like, you have no idea the fact. I would be so excited to not have to be responsible (laughs) for someone else. I don't understand why y'all keep using this as a threat, as if that's something bad. Um, And of course, everybody was like, yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of that whole narrative is we've been fed for so long that if we don't have a partnership, that means sex, family, all of those things, then we have not done this right and that, that we will be miserable. And it's just this weird stretch to say you need to be codependent on someone. (laughs) And it's kind of like, really? Is that right. the best you can do? And what you're telling me is because I'm able to rely on myself and I'm happy, if I'm content with just being here with myself and whatever hobbies I have and or whatever dog I have or and or just 
joyfully reading as you would fan fiction all day long. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, and that's a flex to say, but you're going to be unhappy, but I'm not. I haven't been, so I don't understand. But yeah, stuff like that, that type of narrative that's existed for so long and that we assumed was the norm and true. Right. And she, in this book, gives some pretty excellent slash really frustrating examples right. of that, which we're going to go into. Um, but something else she talks about is this idea that, like, once you're in a relationship, and in, in this case, particularly married, but, like, in any relationship, there's this expectation that sex is, like, owed or is a part of that. And she points out, like, marital rape being essentially a pretty new thing, mm-hmm. like, up into the 2000s, like, some laws. Right. And that that's not really rape because you're in a relationship. And that, again, is just another instance of relationships look like that. That sex has to be a part of it. And if somebody wants it, the other person doesn't, then too bad. And that's not really rape, which is gross and disgusting and completely wrong. Right. And which, yeah, we've talked about that. And she even brings up the example of the Trump case with his former ex-wife, uh, which we talked about a long time ago, and the fact that he settled out of court because he knew he was wrong because he was the only defense they had was they're married, it can't be a rape. Like, that's what his right. lawyer offered up. Right. Ugh. <laughs> Here's another quote. Sexual rights should not be assumed and self-determination must never end upon entering a relationship. You can give a no with zero caveats in each and every situation, full stop. You can say no if someone loves you and you love them back. You can say no for the rest of your life. Loving another person should never mean forfeiting bodily autonomy. Right. And of course, this has everything to do with the patriarchy in itself. Yeah. Because it is absolutely directed more at women. Now, of course, it can be twisted and flipped for sure. But when you come into a heteronormative cis relationship, you know what this is pointing towards. And that's women's obligation to men, which has been a barrier for so long in general and why this conversation needs to happen more often because it goes beyond just, and she says this a lot, just ace community. It goes beyond to that, just to humanity in itself. But yeah, that that, that level of expectation again and obligation is part of the problem in this narrative. Yes, yes. And then I did want to just put on here, put in here very briefly, this uh, whole idea of like puberty being a very confusing time and when you're like feeling these things and you're feeling crushes and all of the stuff and you're kind of getting exposed to that through people that you know as well, it can be hard when you're seeing mostly one type of relationship to understand, especially if you haven't heard terms or you don't know these things exist, what it is that you're feeling or what you want and how that compares to what other people are experiencing. And I think that that can get in the way of a lot of people. I know we recently read a listener mail where the listener was saying, like, I didn't feel like I could claim this sexual orientation or the sexual identity because, uh, you know, I was passing as hetero and I was getting privileged and also, like, I hadn't done it. And so, like, I didn't have enough women partners versus men partners, like, all these things. And I think that can get in your head. And that does... It's just confusing. I <laughs> it's a confusing time. Um... <laughs> Well, in general, I think when we look at this, uh, we have to understand, once again, the true conversation of this is people are fluid. People change. People's reaction changes. So what may have interested you at one point in time may interest you less as you grow older. And, you know, one of the funny parts of women and sexuality, there's this big conversation of when's the best time or when when are their hormones high up or, you know, all of these conversations. And the fact of the matter is, if it's that way, if hormones have everything to do with it, if there's a genetic disposition, if any of those things, if it's biology, then we should allow for change. Then that means... Yeah, maybe what interested me one time doesn't interest me anymore. Maybe what I was attracted to then is not what I'm attracted to now. Maybe it was a certain person that I was attracted to, you know, and and then for like to that point, of course, we love having identifiers and being able to identify ourselves, but 
that could also block us in and be like, well, I already identified this as this. Oh, no. Right. I can't right. change. So that's a bigger conversation. Yeah. Puberty is super confusing. Don't <laughs> yeah. think, I don't understand why that's the moment where we have to decide this is absolutely what I'm going to be in the next hundred years. If right. that long. But you know what I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And I think that's worth noting as well. Again, and there's crushes upon crushes upon crushes because, of course, I've identified one way the whole time in my life. But I don't, I won't hesitate. TikTok obviously thinks I'm a lesbian. Okay, look, show me all the beautiful <laughs> women. I will gladly watch them talk about their great day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Who would it? <laughs> Who would it, right? But that mm-hmm. is, by the way, that's an inside joke for many TikTokers. I think women have been like, all been like, why does TikTok think I'm a lesbian? Why do, oh, well, this is a cool video. Like, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> According to the algorithms, yes. I'm just saying. Yes. It mm-hmm. knows I like dogs and funny women content. I don't know. It's accurate. <laughs> and that's apparently what I identify as. I don't know what that means. I don't know if there's a thing for that. But according to TikTok, <laughs> that's my identifier. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Sounds right. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right, so moving on. Uh, we're going to read a little more. Uh, I understood for the first time that it is possible to lack the experience of sexual attraction without being repulsed by sex, just like it's possible to neither physically crave nor be disgusted by a food like crackers, but still enjoying them as part of the cherished social ritual. Being repulsed by sex is a fairly obvious indication of the lack of sexual attraction, but a lack of sexual attraction can also be hidden by the social performative or wanting and having sex for emotional reasons. And because the different types of desires are bound together so tightly, it can be difficult to untangle the various strands. People who have never felt sexual attraction do not know what sexual attraction feels like and knowing whether or not they have ever felt it can be difficult, writes ACE researcher Andrew C. Hinderlitter in a 2009 letter to the editor of the journal Archives of Sexual Behaviors. Yes, exactly. And she wrote all of that. Yeah, I think that's a big conversation. Like, if you don't know what it is, then what do you think it really, you know, you make up your mind to, oh, this is what it's like. Kind of like if you're tasting food for the first time. You have no idea what it tastes like. Mm -hmm. So you assume, okay, it tastes like this. Yeah, and you can't put yourself in other people's shoes. You can, like, listen to them and be empathetic, but you can't, like, experience right what it is they're experiencing. And you're limited, once again, by your vocabulary. And also, like, when people say what they're experiencing, it might mean something to them that means something different to me. And you're right. trying to make that match because you... And Chen's really honest about this. And she says, like, it was difficult for her to be so honest about it. But there are there are times when I've wanted, like, I feel like I should fit into this, whatever this is that people are feeling, I should feel that. So I'm trying to make it work in my brain when people are describing it to me. Like, maybe I do feel that. And, you know, just feeling like this would be, and it sounds so terrible to say, but easier. Like, it'd be right. easier if I could just feel this whatever it is. So I would try to convince myself, like, maybe this is what people are talking about. Right. And we're just, like, it's almost like an expectations thing where I'm just not as into it as other people are. <laughs> right. I mean, you could say that about love in general, too. Mm-hmm. And for me, when it comes to partnership love, I never really understood that. That was a new thing for me. And I kept asking, even, in, like, recently, my friends who would so easily tell their partners, I love you, I was like, how did you come to that point? Mm-hmm. How did you get here? And they could never really explain. And some people would be like, yeah, I just said it because he said it. Like, or she said it. Like, that was that narrative. And some right. people, so like in my mind, it didn't make sense. And I don't, I still don't quite understand it. And I say this in that I absolutely care for the people around me. And I would mm-hmm. call that love because for me, it's a measure of what I would do for you or how far I would go for you or how... uh how much you are in my thought process. So I'm thinking of things like, I'm going to do this, but would Andy enjoy this? Let me let, let me think about it, you know? And I right. do think of it as like cherishment of some sort. So like, if you care for me enough and you send me a message, I know that you think you're thinking about me. Like mm-hmm. stuff like that. That to me is my measure of love, but it's different from everyone. And I still can't grasp that for partnership all the time. And I'm learning about it and I'm there because I've reached that level with a new partner where I'm like, okay, I'm willing to do the things that I do for my best friends for you. So that must Mm -hmm. mean I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right. Right. And I I think that's a good point. I think people are very different. And I think that we do 
experience things that are very specific to our experiences and our upbringing and all these things like we internalized. Um, But that being said, you know, there is sort of similar threads throughout, but that can kind of get lost. If you're, if what you think love looks like isn't what you're experiencing, then that can be confusing, even though, of course, we do experience it in different ways, just with these shared threads. Well, it's kind of like how, you know, I love my musicals. So I thought, you know, being in love meant we're going to dance in the street in the rain. (laughs) As well as I thought sex meant, uh, if you're watching, you know, Leave it to Beaver, you just kind of hug each other and you sit (laughs) sleep in separate beds. (laughs) You know, like that for the longest, you know. (laughs) 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 Yes. Yes. But yeah, going back to your point of like the food thing or are you, People just don't, it's hard to describe something that only you know. So like I was I was talking about this with a friend the other day about colors. Like I'm not entirely sure we're seeing the same thing. Right. Um, even though we're looking at the same thing, I don't know what your brain and my brain, they could be doing totally something different right, up, right. up there. And I think like this was a good, I wanted to bring in this quote just because it reminds me of the argument around feminism where feminism doesn't mean I hate men. Right. But that's what it gets turned into. And for a lot of times for asexual people, it gets turned into you hate sex, which it doesn't necessarily mean that. It can mean that. But um, it can, like she said, like if you want something you want to participate in emotionally or, or because it's like a, you know, a social ritual, then that's cool too. Right. <laughs> as long as you're, if you're doing it because you want to do it. So the book also goes into some history, and here's another quote. People who could be described as asexual have existed for a long time. They were certainly around in the 1940s when sex researcher Alfred Kenzie was developing his model of sexual orientation. Kenzie believed that sexual orientation was more than a binary of homosexual and heterosexual. He created a scale, a line really that runs from zero to six. Zero for someone who is exclusively heterosexual, six for someone who is exclusively homosexual, three for bisexual. Today, the Kenzie scale is famous and has become the main way of thinking about sexuality and sexual orientation in the West. It does not make room for asexuality, even though Kinsey knew about asexual people. During the thousands of interviews that he conducted, Kinsey had come across people who didn't fit onto his line, who, in his language, had no socio-sexual contacts or reactions. Faced with data that didn't fit this theory, he didn't revise his line to make it more multidimensional. Instead, Kinsey marked these people into a separate category called X and carried on. Heterosexual, homosexual, and bisexual dominated, while group X was mostly forgotten. Yeah, and and I that was so. According to this book, one percent of the population in the United States identifies as asexual, and she does go into the history of that and talks about the importance of the internet for finding connection. But is very clear, like that's not when it started. That's just when people, because there aren't you know a huge population, were able to find others and connect. Um, through that. And then she does go into like a whole section on the difficulty of definition of being defined through negative space. So essentially asexual is defined by like the negative, the lack of something. And then it was interesting to read the history of this community and, and conversations around, well, what does it mean? And I love how often the question, what about masturbation comes up? Because I get that question all the time too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get it. All the time. And we're going to talk more about that in in a minute. Um, Here's another quote. To the best I can tell, sexual attraction is the desire to have sex with a specific person for physical reasons. Sexual attraction can be instantaneous and involuntary, a heightened awareness, a physical alertness combined with mental wanting. My aloe friends say they feel sexually attracted to people they have just met, to people whose company they don't enjoy, to people they don't like or even find good looking. Fair enough. Aces don't experience this. Aces can still find people beautiful, have a libido, masturbate, and seek out porn. Aces can enjoy sex and like kink and be in relationships of all kinds. Um, so yeah, this this reminds me of a very specific conversation I had with a friend, Katie, who's been on the show, where I was literally like, look, I'm going to ask some questions that probably sound very strange to you, but I just am curious. And I was like, 
So tell me what it's like to want to have sex. So tell me what you're, do you like fantasize? And what is that like? And like, what happens when you masturbate? What are you thinking about? All these questions. Because it is, it's a moment of having where you're, you're like, I don't think I have been experiencing these things. Right. And, and then you're just trying to go back to like the square one of, okay, I've assumed it's, it looks like this but maybe my assumption was wrong. And so I have what I call tame kink, and I, I look forward to discussing this in a future future happy hour. But basically, I experience what I imagine is close to sexual attraction, but it's not sexual attraction because there's no like actual sexual part, but like the physical feelings where my fingers will get all tingly and it feels like my body is all warm and my butterflies in my stomach when it's something very tame happens. Like somebody shows that they care about somebody else or they're really protective of somebody else or just like really sweet, caring stuff. That's <laughs> what gets me going. And that's what I seek out in fan fiction and I do feel the thing, but it's not like a sexual... Yeah. Because I'm not like seeing anybody usually. It's just something I'm reading about or even thinking about. Or it feels kind of like when you're on the top of a roller coaster and it's just about to drop. But that's what I experience. And it's almost never... I do with fictional characters, obviously, like Luke Skywalker being the number one, I feel like strong emotions. But like if you remove it, I don't feel for the actor. So it's like... (laughs) fictional right. uh, entirely based on that and if I get if I find somebody really like emotionally attractive I can think someone's really beautiful I can and feel that but I think as, even then I don't think I'm feeling sexual attraction so much as just like I want to be with that person right and just like spend time with them and talk with them right I don't know <laughs> I think all of those make sense into the level of like safety and, and such mm-hmm. as well Everybody has different things. And it's according to how I feel at a certain time. It could be an action that someone does. And I'm like, oh, damn, that's sexy. You know, like that's definitely, <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, something that I do have a moment of. Of course, I have a harder time sometimes because of the sexual trauma that I've experienced, as well as the sexual trauma that I saw in work um, and had yeah. to deal with on a daily basis. I uh, mm-hmm. had a lot of sex offender cases. So there's a lot of different levels to that and trying to separate some of these things because, y'all, when you've been in that field, and I'm sure uh, we've got more and more social workers following us. Hi, y'all. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they know what I'm talking about, that you want to be in that moment, but even like being distracted by whatever work that happened that day is a huge thing and changes things pretty quickly, no matter what. And that could be a whole conversation of being just really distracted and, and your mindset as yeah. well as preferences. But yeah, I, I think all of those things that you're talking about, which you find as attraction, is that yeah, what would you like, say? But it's not necessarily sexual, but it's an attraction, yeah? yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm trying to see how to say it with like, <laughs> not making it a romantic thing, but it is a romantic thing without the sexual thing, but not necessarily always. Yes. Right? Okay, <laughs> yeah. see, we're getting there. Uh. But like for me, all of those things are just, and, and it is for you too, but for me, it's like a personality thing that mm-hmm. is an automatic that I would want that, you know what I mean? Or want to give that. Mm-hmm. You and I are very close and the reason we're very close is we have that language of giving to each other or comforting each other in a manner of helping or, or doing something that you see as that other person likes or wants or enjoys. So you cater to that. Mm-hmm. For me, my own life, because you have very defined loves and I love that. You, you make it very easy to give. Even though... Mm-hmm. It's a little abstract, so it's harder to find those things. We'll have to create my own things for you. <laughs> but I know you love it because you also have tons yes. of things that you like, uh, kind of like uh, our other friends who have those interests already have it. I'm like, what the what the hell do I do now? They already got this because right. they loved it for so long and they've always it's been a part of them. So that's easy and hard at the same time. For mm-hmm. me, I don't really have those interests. I thought about that the other day. It's like, I'm a... 
I feel like sometimes I'm a sociopath and this is going on a whole different level because when we talk about attraction, and I've thought about this. I thought about this when I was watching Dexter too. And I don't know if people uh-huh. who have gone through and probably had been diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder at one point in time and or could have been, I'm still uh-huh. sure it could have been, have a hard time in finding loves and likes of things. I used to make myself because I'm like, this is normal. I have to play normal. So I would pretend right. to collect or want something. And then my dear love of mother, who also is similar to you and I, of like, you like this, I'm going to cater to this, and I'm going to focus on this because you love it, would give me tons and tons and tons of stuff like that. Me realizing I only said it because I needed to say it because I needed to be normal. And now I have all this shit. What do I do with it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going on a different rant on this one. But it's kind of that whole level of trying to figure out what is it that I love? And when I do find attraction, what is it? So for me, for the longest time, it's just physical. It Mm -hmm. wasn't emotional. In fact, I took emotions completely out of it. For the Mm -hmm. longest time, there was no such thing for me. So it's kind of like, I don't do the emotional sexual attraction. I don't do that because I think someone said, maybe you just don't like romantic. You're you're aromantic. And I was like, that's because I want it. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's times to be like, man, if so-and-so did this for me, mm-hmm. I would be blown away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like growing up, like these kind of romantic notions and cues, I love it. And so when I do get it, I'm like, oh, thank you. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I want to do that. I want to do that for other people. Do what you love. So let's do this. But it's weirdly enough, like, I don't know what that is for me. Mm-hmm. Again rediscovering all these things. But that is that conversation of like, okay, so what is this attraction for me? Is it right? A, B, C, and D? Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, let's figure this out. And trying to also combat the very, very, like, and again, you know this as well as I do. And I think anyone who identifies as anything but heterosexual would understand this, is that level of how do I pretend to be normal? And it's so ingrained with me in me that what I'm pretending to be becomes what I think I am. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Like, I, okay, so for the law, this is normal. So I'm going to say I am. And then I believe it to the point that I can't change it. So I'm like, I, wait, do I right. actually like that? Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of that level. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's really hard to like decipher all of that because I'm like, all right, these make sense. These make sense. But this is what I know. And this is what mm-hmm. I pretended to be. And of course, this goes beyond, once again, and I keep pulling this in and I don't mean to that it goes beyond just sexuality, like identifying my sexuality. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond the everyday. Again, am I a freaking sociopath? Do I need to rethink mm-hmm. my life? Yes. But dot, dot, dot. But all of that to say, uh, there is a lot to that level of just beyond, if we could focus beyond that, it's like, wow, okay, let's have a big conversation of, again, what societal expectations and norms are, are placed on us and how <laughs> tangled that makes everything else in our thought process. Yes. Yeah. I think that's one of my biggest takeaways from this whole book is that it's messy. Like, we yeah. can't, you can't remove the patriarchy from your experience and you can't remove white supremacy from your experience. And right. like, you can be aware of it and do work on your part, but you grew up in that system. Right. And so when you start asking yourself these questions, which we're going to talk about more, but you're, you can get really in your head about, well, what does this mean? Am I, is this some, something that came out of being raised in this system? Like, am I playing into a stereotype or against a stereotype? And why am I doing that? And just really, really being uncertain on something you were probably already (laughs) kind of didn't feel maybe, or I I should say for me, it makes it hard for me to claim something 100% because I'm like, I can't say for sure. And that's not a great mind space to be in where you can't say why you feel the way that you do or don't feel the way that you do. Oh, no. Now I'm worried that everybody's going to think I'm a sociopath. That's okay. I uh, I recently told some friends of ours that I thought about the whole dogs thing being overrated and Baby Yoda being overrated. And let me say, people would not let it go. They would not (laughs) drop it. They you would, would you should have learned this lesson, Annie. You got mail about your stance on this. But, not about the baby but, Yoda. Not about the baby Yoda, but about the dogs. I do, I do want to say, though, because <laughs> this is actually kind of relevant to what we're talking about, is I think that my, when I say overrated, 
I think that my version of overrated might not mean what a lot of people mean when they say it. And, but it is kind of a similar thing. Of And we talked about this in my Dead Inside episode where it's like, maybe I'm just not, maybe I'm feeling the thing you're feeling. I'm just not emoting like you're emoting. Or like, maybe right. we're just expressing it differently. But again, you can't be in somebody's head. <laughs> right. Again, okay, so you can think something's not interesting and that's okay. And that might be dog. I'd be like, oh yeah, it's there. Cool. In the story. And yeah, that's kind true. of your conversation. And I thought about this because every time before I started watching Star Wars, every time I said I'd never saw it, the look of like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I got, I was like, oh, calm down. And then I had to be a bigger stance. I'm like, oh, I'm never watching it, which is what my other friend uh, who I've known for years, when I told him I actually watched it, he's like, I thought you, that was going to be your thing where you just never watched Star Wars. I was like, yeah, I gave in. He was like, huh. Like, and I, it was, I was like, I'm, because people are so like, pushy to be like, you need to watch this. And then this weekend, I just got the, you didn't watch Star Trek? I don't know if we can be friends. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. And then me having to explain, I don't like sci-fi that much. I'm starting to get into it. And they're like, (gasps) (laughs) and me just having to stare. So that's a whole different conversation. But yeah, it's literally like, it's not that I hate it. I just don't care. Yes. I totally hear you. I totally hear you. (laughs) I even brought you up. Uh, oh, I was no. Like, yep. No, I was just saying, like, I know she's not feeling what I'm feeling when I watch Star Wars. And that's yes. kind of the thing we're talking about. We're just experiencing the same thing. Yeah. In different ways. <laughs> it's kind of like food. You may like this thing, I may not. Mm-hmm. The one thing we agree on is mayo is trash. <laughs> I don't think that's the one thing we agree on. Oh, no, no. I'm just saying there. it's one of the things that, like, like, I won't touch it. I won't even, like, I don't like right. it. I don't have it in my refrigerator. Mm-hmm. And I've never had it, and it blows my mind. I'm like, oh yeah, is that a thing you want? I bad. <laughs> anyway, sorry, we've gone way off. We've gone off the rails. <laughs> way off. <laughs> okay, so back to the book. I mean, uh-huh. Let's go back to some quotes, right? Mm-hmm. Repeat after me, and she wrote this. Not don't not me. So don't repeat after me <laughs> per se. Right. For mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. Repeat after me. Sexual attraction is not sex drive. These two phenomena are often treated as interchangeable, but understanding that they're separate helps explain ACE experience. Simply put, sex drive or libido is the desire for sexual release, a set of feelings in the body, often combined with intrusive thoughts. It could come out of nowhere and for no obvious reasons and not be about anyone. It's an internal experience of sexual frustration that does not depend on sexual orientation. A woman can be gay and have a high sex drive. That is, she frequently wants sexual release. A man can be straight and have a low sex drive. A person can be ace and have no desire for sexual release at all. Or a person can be ace and have a so-called undirected sex drive, that tingling in the nethers. An undirected sex drive isn't a quirk of ace experience. It's another way of saying being horny, which can afflict anyone because horniness does not need to include sexual attraction. Imagine a gay man with a high sex drive surrounded by women. It is possible for him to feel horny and want to get laid, even if he's not interested in anyone around him. Sexual attraction, then, is horniness toward or caused by a specific person. It is the desire to be sexual with that partner. Libido with a target. To use a food metaphor, a person can feel physiological hunger, which would be like sex drive without craving a specific dish, which would be more like sexual attraction. And just as people have different sex drives, they also experience different levels of sexual attraction. Some aces have a libido and some don't, but we all share the lack of sexual attraction. And most of us have low desire for partnered sex. As a side note, it's important to clarify that neither sexual attraction nor sex drive are the same as physical arousal. People can have random erections or be aroused during medical exams with no libido or attraction involved. And by the way, that could also be said, and this is not what she writes, this is me speaking, mm-hmm. about when uh, rape cases happen and they're yeah. talking about being aroused. That is always a conversation. And yes, that is a physiological thing. It is not necessarily sexual attraction or wanting it. Yes, okay. yes. Um, and we talked about that in our other, our past book club, Come As You Are. And I think that this is a a good quote to kind of describe those things. Because like I said, that's one of the number one questions I get is like, but you masturbate. So you must, <laughs> you must um, have some kind of sexual desire. But it, it, there are just all these, we've gotten all these things tangled up together and they don't need to be, and they shouldn't be. And 
I think, you know, when I, yeah, I mean, this, I've been TMI on this many times, but like when I masturbate, I'm not, it's usually because it feels good. And also it's like a release. I can concentrate Mm -hmm. better. And I'm like almost never, ever thinking of somebody. And if I am, it's a fictional character, but it's not, it's not like I saw somebody, I got something turned on and I got to go do this. Like, it's just... Which she you talks about specifically about that too. Mm-hmm. That a lot of times people are having uh, masturbating because it just feels good in the story. Yeah, it just feels nice. And it, I mean, I know this is probably much bigger conversation, but it feels better than any sex I've ever had. Yeah. Uh, and I would prefer it. Over having You're not sex the with only someone. one who would say that. Even people who would consider themselves sexual would have that same conversation. Yeah, which is, I mean, makes sense. And I'm yeah. not trying to like throw anybody under the bus here because it just makes sense. You would know your own body better and you right. figure those things out. And it's also like battery operated. <laughs> so easier to communicate yeah. in your head. Yes, exactly. And it's just kind of like instinctual. Oh, this is where to go. And and I, I mean, I think people can have amazing sex and, and can communicate really well. And, and, I'm not trying to say that that doesn't exist because <laughs> I totally believe it does. <laughs> but there are just some things that are easier and it's yourself and yeah, you know what you want and you don't have to really try to communicate that because the words can be tricky and explaining can be tricky. Right. Here's another quote. In fact, demisexuality and gray sexuality not only can describe aloes, they actually refer to many who could technically be considered allo. Asexuality is about who you're sexually attracted to. No one. Demisexuality describes the conditions under which someone develops sexual attraction after an emotional bond is formed. And gray asexuality can be about how often someone develops sexual attraction. Rarely. It is possible to be pansexual and demisexual or gray, a heterosexual, or any number of other combinations. And I, I want to include that because I think there was a lot of interesting things that was brought up through interviews in that chapter. There was one point about hookup culture and over-sexualization and that may be kind of a, an anxiety that these terms, these labels were being used for people who basically thought that the level of sex they should want, they weren't there. And that as a society, we've just been totally hypersexualized and oversexualized. And so they thought that maybe something was in very heavy quotes wrong with them, or they weren't on the same level as people. Maybe that's just a cultural thing they've um, internalized. And then there's also the interesting point of people using these labels, but really they were just being jack about it. And having anxieties around that of like, and I'm being very general and stereotypical here, but kind of, you know, like the man who says he is like aromantic and and all this stuff and then treats you like, like that's not cool. Don't treat people terribly. (laughs) Right. Um, So I, I understand all those anxieties. And I think, again, this book does a really good job of like, it's complicated. Um, And people have acted in ways that are cruel to other people that can unfortunately sometimes sort of align with how people understand or think that these labels, what they mean, which isn't necessarily the case at all, but just what people think. Like if you, I think of her a lot of women, if you met a guy who said like, I'm not into romance, even if he did identify that way, you would immediately have kind of like a tensing up of, oh, he means like he just wants to use me and then throw me away or something. Which I'm, again, generalizations. I know that you can be an aromantic man and not be like that, but I think that's like the anxiety um, that people have. Right. Yeah. Labels in general make people nervous all kinds of ways. And and then we also see people who are being dicks about the fact that labels can be important in that you you want to identify yourself. You, You need to know about yourself, which I know is like a light bulb moment for many people. And uh, mm-hmm. we've we're kind of seen this, and I don't think she's she's definitely didn't really mention this, but like with the pronoun stuff, and we have the right coming in and going real hardcore and being like, "How dare you 
do this because now you're categorizing and or whatever, making me see something that I don't want to see or making me acknowledge something that I don't want to acknowledge type of conversation as well. And it's, it's kind of like, well, it's not for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's right. Them. So calm down. <laughs> Just calm down. Yes, for sure. Yeah, so going on with more quotes, uh, sexuality is more than sexual orientation and attraction is more than sexual attraction, yet humans can act as though sexual interest is the only reason we find ourselves compelled by others. Aesthetic attraction can guide romantic attraction or the feeling of being romantically interested in or having a crush on someone. Romantic orientation then denotes the gender that people usually develop crushes on. These use the same linguistic constructions as sexual orientations, swapping out the sexual part, heteroromantic, panromantic, homoromantic, and so on. People who don't experience romantic attraction towards anyone are called aromantic or aero. The concepts of aromanticism and asexuality developed alongside each other, so eros have long been part of the ace community, though some people are aromantic and not asexual. Yes. Which someone asked me if I was. <laughs> well, and that's something else I had no idea about until I started on the show. Right. That was new. And I had to look it up. I was like, is that a thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> For real. <laughs> uh, like, you know, well into my adult life. And that's, I, I identify personally as biromantic. Um, but it is nice to know because I would feel like attraction to both Luke and Leia and mm-hmm. be very confused by it. But mm-hmm. then I want nothing like sexual. And I'm like, how is this happening at all? Right, right. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> there you go. Something else that Chen goes into in this book is religion, which is something we talk about a lot in in this show and how that impacts views on sex and, and morality and how not wanting sex can feel old-fashioned and conservative. You know, this whole idea of not wanting to feel repressed, wanting to feel liberated. And that's something I really identify with, I really connected with. And I yeah, I just feel... I, I talked about this briefly because I'm so happy that we're finally talking about women having sex and liking sex and wanting sex. I think that's right. great. But I think it has gotten kind of like tied to that means you're liberated. And if you don't want that, then you're not. Right. And I think that also is changing. And again, it is another thing that is complicated because of the patriarchy. <laughs> right. And and things like religion, which of course the patriarchy touches. But yeah, it's sort of, there's a whole chapter about the religious aspect of this and this assumption that everyone struggles with sexual desire in religious texts is kind of a, a lot of, in a lot of ways, the heart of a, a lot of religion is that the idea that everyone struggles with this and you have to be chaste and withhold, hold back from your desire until you are married. Right. And then, you know, have kids and that's it. Speaking of which, there's been this viral video uh, recently of this dude who decided to approach several 18-year-old girls on the beach to tell them that they are causing men to sin and they need to think about their life and what they're doing is they're dressing like sluts and they need to get what? it together. Oh, yeah. Uh, because what? he's like, he said, my son's out here. My family's trying to enjoy some things. And all they can see is your bikinis. And by the way, they're normal bikinis. Like, right. not that it matters. <laughs> not that it matters at all. Like, they mm-hmm. can be wearing G-strings and whatever, whatnot, and enjoy your life, do your thing. But they were just regular wearing regular bikinis. They look mm-hmm. great. Go ahead. Enjoy it. Love your life. You look wonderful. Mm-hmm. Enjoy that body. But... And it went viral to the point that all the people were like, what the hell is wrong with you? And he came and decided to come back with a video saying that he was, you know, a God-fearing man and he was doing the work of God and just wanted to let this, and he tried to be real cool. I just wanted them to protect them and let them know that, you know, this is really harmful and what Jesus loved them more than that, essentially. What? Yeah, it was bad. To say he got fired and then he got chastised and he's been reamed over the coals repeatedly has been a delight. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, you know. but anyway but I think stuff like that and again we talked about it when I was talking about uh, the murders that happened in Atlanta the shootings that happened in Atlanta this conversation causes a lot of violence in general yeah. when we talk about morality but it also causes a lot of like fear and just Again, this whole conversation of like, am I normal? Am I supposed to be feeling this? So if I'm not trying to be religious and I'm not trying to be, and and I'm trying to go forward in this feminist movement and me saying, I don't want sex. Am I doing the wrong thing? Because I'm not, you know, liberated again, like she says. And I think that's a big conversation. 
Because we have one extreme or the other. Is that either you have right. to be completely chaste or you have to be, you know, uh, raging and, and, and constantly turning over partners. You know, there's not mm-hmm. this middle ground of just being, just being. Right. And just being happy to be what they were and who, who they are and not wanting this. And then you go on into like, yeah, that it's both good and bad when it comes to relationships and what it is expected under the misogynistic idea of what marriage is supposed to be when we look at the religious, conservative religious ideas of what marriage is and how damaging it is for one or the other. And it's such a weird conversation because, yeah, it doesn't feel like there's much of a common, like a middle ground or a no mm-hmm. ground situation. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something we can... We should all examine, perhaps, and maybe we'll come back and do another episode on it one day. But there's just a lot of judgments around if people are having sex and the type of sex they're having. So, like, even if maybe you are having sex, but it is, quote, you know, boring. Right. But maybe that's fine with you. Maybe that's what you want. But then right. I feel like there's a lot of judgment around that, like how much sex you are having. And I, I do think it has a lot to do with this history of the patriarchy and repressing women and not letting women be sexual and not letting women have pleasure. And so we do have a lot of concern around that and anxiety around that. But the fact is those things can exist and that might be what somebody wants. And again, it can change. Yeah, it can change. And that's the other part to that is um, this whole level of duty in that Mm -hmm. that's a conversation we need to call, like we've talked about many times, but how that stigma also really, really hurts Everything, everything, uh, mm-hmm. and this obligation and, and this whole narrative of, again, your sex, women's sex, just saying it as this, is something to be A, prized, and then yeah. gifted to those worthy. So if you're gifting yeah. this to those who are worthy, that means you can't deny it because it's a gift. You know right. what I mean? And so that's just both of those things. And to slow mm-hmm. it down, it's become a running joke, obviously. Like the once you get married, you stop having sex, da da da. da. Right. Women especially. Mm-hmm. To the point it's like, I'm very confused. Why? Like, like as a kid watching yeah. this conversation and this constant joke that I'm like, I don't get it. What's happening? I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, but like having that, yeah, people's sex drive changes. Yeah. And there's a lot of, again, like I talked about my job and we know that the outside narratives and then feeling that guilt, not only for those, just I think for everyone, if you can't Mm -hmm. keep up with that and feeling like, okay, well, I'm not normal now. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, yeah, that's a a good point because that's just another example of this assumption, which I know we're going to talk about that more later too, but the assumption that this is like sex is the best thing. And you yeah. should be getting it all the time. Right. And it should be great and the best. Yeah. And if you're not, then something's wrong or you're boring or like right. all these things that we assume about people like that. But it's just assumed that, that that's what you should want. And it is a joke, like once you get married. The fact that it's a joke that once you get married, all of a sudden, it's usually the woman it's all, doesn't yeah, want to have sex. Always, yeah. Anymore that we should question why that is. Right. <laughs> we should very much question why that is. Hmm. Monday mini. All right. Yes. And going on with uh more quotes, because we love it. None of this aligned with my goals, uh, she writes. The words used to describe women who didn't have sex, celibate, abstinent, pure, chaste, seemed either clinical or moralistic in a way I disdained. The words used to describe women who did, free, empower, bold, I liked and wanted to apply to me. Down. Few people would explicitly say that sexually conservative women are wildflowers, but popular culture made that insinuation clear. And so I had a vague, unquestioned feeling that the women who pursue sex are more fun and feminist than the women who don't. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting. That's what she writes. Because also there's that opposite with in the feminist group, yeah, you want to say that's uh, free and power bold, but within, outside of that, that's a slut, uh, whore, any of those narratives, again, as we talked right. about that dude. So it's kind of interesting that that's how she saw it, but it is that narrative, like, you want to fit in, so yeah. in what structure do you want to fit in? Yeah, I, I find that dichotomy interesting as well, because there's the the version of, you know, 
for so long, a woman who's sexually liberated has been called a slut or a whore or like even just, you know, might have had sex once that can be thrown, lobbed at her. But in feminist circles, it's, it's more like, yeah, girl, you get it. You have that sex, which is great. Again, all for it. But it does, once again, rely on this assumption that that equals empowerment and a a liberated woman, which it does in some ways, but it's not the only way that it can work. Here is another quote. My ideas about the humiliation of repression and the meaning of liberated sexuality did not come from nowhere. For so long, women have been encouraged to deny our sexual needs and instead serve the needs of men. Our worth is tied to sex. We are sexualized until we are too old, yet shamed and policed for being sexual ourselves, prevented from exploring what we desire or are allowed to desire. This is doubly true if the women in question aren't straight. So yeah, that's kind of going off of what you were saying, Samantha. That it's just Once again, you cannot win. You cannot win no matter what. And I want to include this because I did feel this as well, especially when I came into work on a feminist podcast. I was like, oh no, I have to keep this to myself. Like, I gotta be loud and proud about go having sex. Women, go get it. (laughs) (laughs) Get it. Which I am. And I was like that in high school too because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be normal and heavy quotes. And I did. I wanted people, I wanted women or any marginalized group to have sex that they wanted and it'd be fine. But, and that does get all mixed up with this sort of the patriarchy and feminism and assumptions around sex. But I will say for me, and I don't think that this is a healthy thought either, but I experienced almost the opposite of this whole thing where I, it's hard to describe, but I guess I thought sex was degrading for mm-hmm. women because. Mm-hmm. It had been for so long been about men's pleasure. And to me, it seemed... And this was also really uninformed about like what I saw in porn and in movies and stuff. But to me, it just seemed like the woman was a prize to be won and the man won in a sexual encounter and the woman lost. So I experienced almost this opposite thing. And that's also because I wasn't where I grew up. You know, there were feminist people, but that conversation was not being had. So I didn't really have that sort of like empowered narrative as much as I, as I do now, as I hear now. But for me, I just, and I would hear my friends talk about uh, sex they were having and how, how much they enjoyed it. And I was like, my brain could not get on board. And and I, I just thought that was interesting. That for me, it was like the opposite where I was like, I'm never having sex with a man because the patriarchy. So it's like a different form of feminism almost. Of not, not good feminism, but you know, kind of this really misinformed understanding of it. And uh, I don't know. I just thought I was, I was intrigued by our different experiences around that. I think it's interesting too, because I, I felt the same way as you did. It's, it's, always been about power. It's all about men gaining power, taking something, and women are just prizes, essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. And I grew, the, grew up with that. And like, that's what we learned in high school. That's what we hear uh, guys saying and, and like having brothers and kind of talking about, you know, so-and-so did this or so-and-so. And it was always the girl's a slut and the dude obviously was the one pressuring. Mm-hmm. And that was that conversation I grew up with and understanding this is what happens. Oh, no, I don't want that. I don't... Every time I'd hear a story about something happening between a couple, the girl is always, you know, something happening, whether she's forced to do something or whether they do something that's gross to... The, like, always an added to humiliate the woman. Right. And that including, like, oral sex and uh, having uh, blowjobs or any of that, to me, was the most degrading of all things uh, mm-hmm. because that made women seem nothing but the vessel. Yeah. I don't know, like, the orifice, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. For something just for male pleasure only. Like, that's what right. it seemed. And to me, that was one of the most humiliating things that you could think of. And so that was the biggest joke for anything that... Uh, happened within high school, teenagers, whatever. Like, of course, it's not sex, but it's still something that men can have and therefore used women even more so. That's that's what it seemed. And it wasn't until, ha sex in the city that yes. it kind of turned that perspective from me when they talk about, again, it's still that power dynamics, but how it can uh-huh. be pleasurable, how it's not pleasurable and all these things because it literally goes from one character saying she doesn't like it, she doesn't want it, she doesn't want to do it. And that mm-hmm. ended their relationship 
to another character talking about, I like it sometimes. I it's, yeah, it's, like literally says, I'll order it off the menu every now and again. Yeah. And talking about how, you know, things have been changing and how that can be a thing uh, for women to enjoy as well. And of yeah. course, this again negates all of the the love and romance and trust and communication in a relationship mm-hmm. that can happen in that too, which we want to come back to in general. But like, yeah, yeah I'm right with you. Where it's like, this is degrading and this is what it means. But it also came with that misogynistic idea of my virginity is my prize. Right. And I must not give it unless they are worthy. Right, right. And I I have had friends where I've had this discussion, this very discussion with them, and they'll they'll tell me, like, you know, I get real pleasure out of, like, really bringing someone, like, to the edge and, like, having, being in control of that pleasure for them. And I totally get that. But, yeah, these formative ideas I had are these really misinformed ideas I had at the beginning that I was, yeah, I thought it was degrading. And I think that also says something about rape culture and the the media we consume and how sex is often portrayed. That that's right. what I thought it looked like. And it's never about the woman's pleasure. Right. Ever. Right. <laughs> or if it is, it's only like we talked about as a way for the man to be like, look how good I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Still about him. Okay, so because we went so far off the rails on this one, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have to break this one up into two. Um, our first book club two parter. Yeah. Yes. So keep an ear out, an eye out for part two soon. But in the meantime, if you have any suggestions for book club or or any suggestions at all, we love to hear them. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 